Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. So, first up, we'll take a look at the business stories that are exercising the country and indeed the world. Joining me this morning are Caroline Reedy of the HR Suite and also uh, John Isle, who's the new Deputy Business Editor at the Sunday Times. Congratulations on your new appointment, John, and you're very welcome here this morning. Thank you, Bobby. Now, when I have you there, John, um, straight on to the day job, banks warned over mortgage hikes. It's the front page of the Irish Examiner. Well, yeah, the finance minister, Michael McGraw, is coming under a bit of political pressure now. Um, now that interest rates have been hiked nine times in the last 12 months, really an extraordinary uh, rate hiking cycle that we're in. Colin Hunt yesterday referred to it as an economic shock. Colin Hunt is the um, uh, CEO of AIB. Now, there's two sides to this. One is that the Irish banks are finally profitable again, extremely profitable. And AIB blew the doors off with their results yesterday, nearly a billion in profits in in the first half. The flip side of that is that there is a cohort of mortgage borrowers uh, who are really dramatically affected by these rate hikes. And those are people on variable or tracker rates. That's about 20%, I believe, according to the the most recent uh, figures I've seen, 20% of the total mortgage market. Everybody else is on a fixed rate. But those people are getting absolutely crucified, especially if their loans are owned by a vulture fund. Banks haven't passed on much of these mortgage rates, but the vulture funds have. So you're talking, in some cases, rates of seven, eight, nine percent which is really hard to pay for at the moment. Yeah. Caroline, it's interesting when we talk about the banks because, you know, uh, as John outlined there, almost a billion in profits after six months. A good news story at one level, but, you know, good news sometimes is a problem. Absolutely. And I think if you're the person who's paying three and a half grand more a year in your mortgage and you see the huge profits that AIB are reporting, their profits are up 79% versus the same period in 2022, you're definitely saying, well, hang on a second, I'm really being squeezed here. So I think those profits are, you know, really challenging for a lot of people to accept. But um, I think the Ulster Bank, we're seeing obviously the passing on of the Ulster Bank loans has made a huge difference, over €3 billion in commercial loans that have gone to them. So that's definitely having a big impact. A couple of things around this. Uh, We have to remember that AIB uh, is still 46.9% owned by us. Um, I think that's a, a point that's worth making. The second point, John, I'd like put to you is that banks are earning about 3.75% on money uh, through the European banks uh, in interest. And they're still only passing on a paltry uh, uh, savings rate. And I, I really think that they're going to come under a lot of pressure now to start giving decent mm. uh, savings deposit rates because clearly it's, you know... The, the genie's out of the bottle here. Yeah, well, we can see what we're, what profits they're making. That's right. I think that's where the bigger story is. And in, in fact, the, the, you know, the profitability that the banks are getting from these interest rate rises aren't really coming on the mortgage side because they've, they've managed to keep the mortgage prices down for the most part. In fact, Irish banks are among some of the cheapest, have some of the cheapest mortgages in Europe at the moment, but they also have among the lowest deposit rates. And so essentially what the banks are getting to do is they take your money or my money they pay us very little in interest, if anything at all, and then they can lay it off with the ECB at 3.75%. 
and they take the difference. That has, that has massively improved their margins. Now, that's good for us as taxpayers because, as you say, we still own a good chunk of AIB and permanent... 46.9%. Not great for us as customers. But it, it's one of the reasons why I'm perplexed that uh, Michael McGrath is talking about financial support for mortgage payers and isn't talking about uh, deposit rates, yeah. which, which actually might get him a little bit more traction because the bulk of mortgage borrowers are not being pinched. It's a small minority, in fact. And if you listen to what the central bank governor, Gabriel McClough, has talked about recently, he said, look, if if fiscal policy is going to move towards mortgage interest relief, in fact, that actually is a problem for the European Central Bank because they want to see the pain of these increases pushed through to the consumer so that the consumer spends less and inflation goes down. And he said, if governments are just going to give people money to offset these interest rates, uh, rises, we're going to have to keep hiking. So uh, finance ministers like Michael McGraw have to think very carefully about the approach that they take to yeah. this, and maybe they'll get more mileage out of pushing on deposits rather than mortgages. Yeah, it is amazing what uh, what challenges good news can actually bring. Uh, and AIB, I think you're going to find that out. Caroline, when I have you there, um, there's also another story um, in today's Irish Independent which says that Irish banks fare worse than EU counterparts in the stress test. Now, Again, having read what we've just talked about, uh, one would wonder why this is the case. Yeah, I suppose this is like a, a worst case scenario, doomsday you know, uh, scenario that they're painting. And I suppose a big part of it is due to the historic non-performing loan book. Um, but in reality, I suppose, how likely is this to happen? Probably not. But it just shows, I suppose, that AIB and Bank of Ireland both have enough cash to survive any form of a, a typical crisis. But those non-performing loans, if doomsday happens, is going to be a concern. OK. Um, now, our next story is a business story per se, uh, even though it may not sound like it, because uh, the headline is it's a war zone and we're losing um, inner city after tourists uh, being beaten again. John, as an American, mm. um, this story will be close uh, to your heart uh, as an American who spent many years in this country. But we we clearly have seen here um, a, a shift and a, a public kind of outrage, mm. and, and, and rightly so, when we see tourists being attacked on our streets, we see individuals with 50 previous convictions coming up before the courts. And here we see Amy Blaney talking about the businesses on Talbot Street and the Greater O'Connell Street area and what they have to put up with Mm. on a daily basis. I think this is a really great piece of journalism because she's done something very simple, which is just walked up and down the street and talked to business owners and asked a very simple question, what's your experience like? And some of the stories are just horrific, right? So these are stories of fights happening out front of shops, um, shop owners having to keep their doors permanently locked, um, spending thousands of euros replacing broken glass on their shop yeah. fronts, having to stay inside waiting for gangs of gangs of youths to sort of move off before they can go and catch their train or their bus home. Um, just the, the air of menace in Talbot Street is really palpable. And I don't say this lightly. I've, I've worked there twice, once when I was in the Sunday Tribune and once when I was in the Irish Independent. And several of my colleagues have been attacked on the street, uh, either coming or going from work. I've seen fights on the street. I've seen people being attacked yeah. or mugged on the street, open drug use, etc. Um, 
I say this descriptively, not judgmentally, just to give people an idea of what it's like to walk up and down Talbot Street. And these shop owners, pub owners, et cetera, who are trying to bring some kind of economic activity to the community and so forth are just persecuted, like commercially, personally, et cetera. It's really, really bad. Um, Now, I don't claim to have anything like a solution here. And and also, I, I, I want to say, you mentioned there is an American, you know, who, who lives in Dublin. Um, you know, Dublin as a whole doesn't feel like a menacing city. It doesn't feel like an unsafe place. But pockets of it certainly do. Before I moved here permanently, I lived in Philadelphia, which is a high crime city in America. Like we're talking very high murder rate and so forth. Now, there were places in Philadelphia I never would have gone. Yeah. Or if I did, I wouldn't stop at a red light if I was in those neighborhoods. But in the center of Philadelphia, I never felt as unsafe as I do when I'm on Talbot Street. And I think that's, yep, you know, that's a good, that really that's says a good parallel. Um, and that may have to do with differences in policing and so forth. I don't, yeah. I don't really know. But these business owners are having to like take money out of their own pockets to deal with problems that should be handled at a structural, social, political okay. level. Uh, Caroline, um, a pub owner, Noel Tymon, he's the owner of the Celt pub there on Talbot Street. He said, the main thoroughfare in a major city in the world and there's no police on it, there's something seriously wrong. And I suppose, let's be honest, I think we're all empathising with these people and we're all agreeing with them. And, you know, I suppose, uh, obviously there's been money, you know, thrown at the problem in terms of Helen McEntee's announcement yesterday of the 10 million euro funding, etc. But ultimately, this is for overtime for more guards to be on the streets, etc. But first of all, will the guards work the overtime and will they, you know, will they take that up? I think it's like what are, what's really going to solve this problem? The youths that were involved in that American tourist incident are youths. I mean, they're young, you know, young lads. And yeah, it's ultimately, a, it's a wider societal it's a wide, issue. Absolutely. And I do think we need to think about that wider societal issue and, you know, how are we going to address that? But, but if, if you think of something like retail, which is essentially the living fabric of what happens, and again, I've worked, like John, yeah. in many of these areas over the years, super savers, opticians and Talbot Street, uh, like several shops there, has chosen to lock the doors and install a bell for customers to ring. Like, it's, that's not retail. No, it's not. And then also, to be fair to these owners and staff, like what an awful environment to be working in. I mean, every day that you're afraid you're going to get mugged, robbed or attacked. I mean, that's unacceptable, but it definitely needs a wider societal response because being afraid to walk the streets, which everybody is now. And I think the American embassy obviously have put a cautionary warning to American tourists to say, you know, don't travel alone, etc. And I think we've obviously a huge American tourism industry in Ireland and you know, there's more with the Notre Dame and there's a big, you know, football match in the Aviva that's going to create more anticipation around that. The last thing we want is for people to feel actually Ireland isn't safe. So for our economy and our tourism and for everybody who's living and working in Dublin, I think it's something that we we have have to address. Absolutely. Um, John, food prices in Ireland Mm. rising at twice the general rate of inflation. Uh, Again, there's a lag here uh, which we see in, you know, in many industries where, you know, you pay X for something, you buy forward and the price comes down, but the consumer is the last to feel the benefit. 
For sure. And food is maybe a special case here. It was probably the last to start seeing inflationary pressure. And, yeah. and it's kind of the last to, you know, to come back down. But there's some supply chain issues there, too. We can't forget what's happening with the weather around the world at the moment. And so a lot of the places that your fruit and veg come from, you know, Italy, Spain, France, have either been suffering, you know, catastrophic drought and fire or devastating hailstorms, etc. Yeah, so that all feeds into the price, too. Look, at this point, I'm actually an inflation, inflation optimist. Um, you know, this may be an unpopular position to take, but what we've seen in recent months is a kind of con uh, uh, consistent reduction in the rate of inflation. Irish inflation is now at about 4.6%, which isn't low, but it's getting closer to mm -hmm. the target of 2%. And the rate hiking cycle, which, as we talked about before, has been a shock, is actually doing the work it's supposed to do in terms yeah. of bringing prices down. And it's done it without really damaging the economy as a whole. So employment is still very good, right? Jobs are out there, wages are going up, um, and growth has returned after kind of a mild technical recession. So like, I'm an optimist about all of those factors, yeah. which I think are 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 worth for focusing on. I think what's what's somewhat sometimes difficult to kind of square the circle is, you know, while you see buoyancy in one thing and you see hardship somewhere else, and it's you're trying to make sense of all these things, these positives and negatives at the same time. Connor Pope's analysis is quite interesting, Caroline, in terms of, you know, the benefit of alleged easing of inflation rate remains stubbornly elusive to consumers. And I think he's right. I think he's right too. But I suppose it is having that domino effect. Like we've never seen as many, I suppose, wage increases. We've never seen all those other things impacting. And I think as a result of that, you know, we're getting to a place that the economy is getting to a balance, I suppose. Um, I definitely think we're going to see more of the reduction of prices as they start to improve. But I think wages is one of the challenges, really, with minimum wage and all those other factors yeah. increasing as a result. Yeah. Uh, John Erlingus reporting good numbers, uh, operating profits rising to 40 million first half of the year. Um, we have to remember here that this is a business that had a horrendous couple of years mm. uh, through COVID. And, you know, it looked like at one stage that they mightn't even survive it. So to see these numbers coming back is encouraging. Yeah, you're right. And then COVID was a real existential crisis for the for the air travel industry. In fact, all of travel and leisure w was facing that. Aer Lingus had to take, of course, a 50 million euro loan from the Irish Strategic Investment Fund, which they've reported they have paid back now. Um, but the 40 million in uh, operating profits in the first half of the year is a good sign, even though it's still a good ways off where it would have been in 2019. And certain areas are coming back, like short haul flights uh, to sun destinations, ironically, given everything that's been happening in the Mediterranean. But the one thing that I think is maybe going to be a per persistent concern, especially uh, for airlines like Aer Lingus, uh, let's say, as opposed to Ryanair, um, is that business travel hasn't fully bounced back no. yet. And I'm not sure it ever is going to bounce back. And they may need to think about what the business model is going forward if the kind of margins that they became accustomed to from business travelers who were not price sensitive yeah. aren't going to come back. So and I think you're seeing that now because there's now all sorts of different tiers of business mm -hmm. travel, which is an, uh, another, uh, as you say, where there, where there was people who didn't care about the price. There are now people in that area that will maybe want the comfort, but they'll, want, they'll be seeking value. For, for and, sure. and I think you're seeing products such as that. Absolutely. And I think we're definitely seeing that all the challenges, whether that's been ground staff, whether that's been 
um, the traffic control strikes in France, etc. You know, people are still travelling, but the business travel is gone forever. I think everybody's so used to the remote and they're really thinking about the air miles. They're thinking about sustainability and they're thinking about the necessity. Is it actually necessary anymore? Whereas before, let's be honest, we took it for granted. You just jumped in the plane and you went. Business travel was part of life. Yeah. But I think it's uh, definitely changed forever. Yeah, OK. Uh, John, I don't know if you were in the... Uh, the uh virtual queue for Coldplay tickets uh, because the uh, uh, a piece in the Irish Examiner tells us that Coldplay fans go round and round in circles. Now I have some indirect experience of this because my two of my daughters were in this queue so I know a little bit about it and unfortunately for me it involves uh, fiscal pain. <laughs> um, but but um, that whole thing around you know getting a, getting a code now to get a preferential yeah. place in a in a in an online queue, not knowing if people st- spending all day uh, then getting dumped out of the queue after they've been in there for four mm-hmm. hours, yeah. only being offered premium, premium, premium tickets. This gig isn't for a year and a half, and all this money's in the bank. It's a good business model. It's a good business model that annoys a lot of customers, obviously. I mean, I was explaining to my teenage son recently what it was like buying tickets for gigs in the 80s and 90s. And you used to actually stand in a queue. <laughs> you used to go somewhere and stand in a queue. This is more painful, I feel. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it, yeah. This kind of virtual pain is very hard to tolerate, for sure. And then if you do get to the head of the queue, you're rewarded by having to spend hundreds of euros. Absolutely. I was one of those people in the queue and I said, OK, look, if I get a ticket, happy days. But when I got to the end of the queue, the tickets were €390 Euro each. And like, I couldn't justify it. Yeah. I mean, like, I'd love to So did to you go, have an option to buy it? An option to buy at 390 yeah. for two tickets. And how long were you in the queue? I was actually not in the queue that long because I only went online yesterday. Right. But like for 390 euro, as you say, that's your reward after waiting. I just couldn't justify it. And I think for a lot of people, the costs are just getting astronomical. Yeah. And I think that justification, same with Taylor Swift tickets, I think the cost is definitely becoming <laughs> something of a... One of my daughters said, uh, the the good news is that I've, we're after getting as a family six Coldplay tickets. The bad news is you're paying for them. Oh, I'd say that cost you a few quid, Bobby. That was a really big treat. Yet. I haven't paid yet. I'm holding out. I'm holding out. Now, um, it's All-Ireland uh, weekend. Caroline, we'll have to give you the lead on this. Um, we've got two pieces here. Kingdom Awash with green and gold ahead of the All-Ireland. So, how are you feeling this weekend? Uh, definitely, it's going to be a brilliant match. I think everybody's delighted to have Kerry in Dublin. The banter is brilliant. I must say the phone and the texts and the crack has been brilliant on the lead-up. But I think it's going to make a brilliant match. You've got two really strong teams that are really well-matched. Like David Clifford, obviously, is our star player, but Conor Callan on the other side is going to give him a run for his money. But I think Kerry have the edge and I think we're all really excited for a close match and tickets have been like gold dust. Did you get you know? one? Yeah, I did. I've been in the lucky category. Um, but honest to God, they've been like gold dust, I think, you know, of all years this year. I hadn't realised that it was 38 years since the 
Kingdom's last victory over Dublin. I, I didn't realise it yeah, was as long as that. Imagine Paddy O'Shea um, was at the helm back then. It just shows then. how the years go by so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think everybody loves a Kerry-Dublin battle and they know it'll be a really good game of football and I think that's uh, that's going to make it really, really great because after the hurling, it was such a high standard of sport. We want the same from the football and we're really excited to get that uh, tomorrow. Interesting to take John Isles' take on this as as uh, as an American man in Dublin. Um, John, have you any interest in the All Ireland? My my interest is really filtered through my kids. We're a we're a Kula family, uh, so we'll be supporting the Dubs, of course. But yeah. but personally, I'm paying more attention to the Women's World Cup, where I think uh, the United States has a good chance of winning again. Um, but that's that's kind of my my summer sport entertainment. We had heartbreak with the Canadians. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the both Irish matches and I have to say the performances were, were, were really great and uh, looking forward to maybe a possibility of beating the Nigerians in the final in the final match I think we could regard that as a success Yeah I think so I think so well Caroline enjoy the match enjoy the weekend as a as a Kerry woman you're, you're, it, this is your time so. Totally yeah Now finally uh, before we go um, there's a piece in the Irish uh, mail today which says ice in your wine ignore the snobs and just do it no, John Isle, can you be seen to pop a cube of ice into your rosé there uh, in the leafy South Dublin suburbs <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon? I don't think I've ever done it, Bobby, but, you know, it's hard to care if anybody does. And the chef who, the chef who is doing this on his podcast, David Chang, uh, is famous for his uh, Michelin star restaurant, Momofuku, in, um, in New York, is a bit of an iconoclast. He loves to sort of take traditions and turn them on their head. So... I'd say this is a little bit of... Uh, he's publicity. the same guy who said that people shouldn't cook burgers on a barbecue. Yeah. Like, where's he getting off yeah. there? So, look, I mean... Controversial, <laughs> controversial. I, I would encourage anybody, you know, to watch his uh, his his Netflix series. He's a really interesting chef. And I, I think what he's trying to do is generate a little bit of activity for his podcast, get people to tune in. I, and I definitely think it's worth doing that. But uh, take it with a little bit of grain of salt. Just enjoy your wine how you like it. And Caroline, what about you? Would you be? Would, is that a heinous thing for you to do? To well, put an ice cube in your. I would have to say, if somebody asks, offers me a glass of rosé, I actually like a couple of cubes of ice in it. Yeah, and I think. And I don't care what anyone thinks. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think enjoy it whatever way you want because isn't that the whole purpose? It's relax and enjoy. Uh, for me, I'm a red wine drinker, so the ice won't work. But I'm definitely cheers to anybody who'd like it whatever way they'd like. All right. Well, thank you for both for a great review of the papers. John Isle, good luck in your new job. And Caroline, good luck with the All-Ireland this weekend. Thanks, Bobby. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.